3: Hanging out with us on a Friday. we got a lot of great football coming up this weekend. Three games on Saturday. Three games on Sunday. I'll be watching them all. I bet you will also. And then on Monday, we've got the game between Ohio State and Alabama. So really, seven games to look forward to over the next three days. A lot of football coming down the pike. All right? So some of you may have seen me talking about this on social media. Some of you may listen to both of us. So Dan Levitard has been at ESPN Radio for a long time. In fact, I think he was at ESPN for like 20 years or whatever the heck it was uh, over a prolonged period of time. And he's now left. And so this isn't me being cocky. Fox Sports Radio is the best sports talk radio in the country. There's not even a close second now. ESPN is just getting absolutely destroyed by Fox Sports Radio. I mean, I'm pretty decent, I think. You guys know that I... Think highly of myself, but then we go into Dan Patrick and then we go into Colin Cowherd and then we go into Doug Gottlieb and then Broussard and Rob Parker and uh, and all these different guys all throughout the day. And I'm not trying to leave anybody out, but that's just me kind of reciting the the rundown of uh, of the shows as I know them. Really good talent, right? Levitard now is off ESPN Radio and he's doing a podcast exclusive show. Which more power to him, whatever. Um, he can uh, he can make his way doing his show any way that he likes. And so he uh, he was doing his show on Thursday, I think this went up. And he decided to take some shots at me. And I found out because people tagged me on Twitter. And they're like, oh, did you see what Levitard said about you? And I'm like, this is always kind of funny to me, right? If you listen to this show regularly, you know that I don't care what people say about me. And if I to the extent that I have any superpower, my wife would say my superpower is if 10 people say something bad about me and one person says something nice about me, I remember the nice thing. I don't really hold grudges. I don't sit around worried about what people say about me. So I just kind of think the whole thing's funny. So Lebatard, now he's not on ESPN radio. He's a wild man. He's free. He can say whatever he wants. And he said this on his show yesterday.
1: Over the last 12 months to us and elsewhere, to us and elsewhere, because I've got something for that (laughs) stained Clay Travis in a second who wants to sit it out now when he was having Trump on his infomercial podcast, Dixie Vodka Cheap, (laughs) Uh, just getting Trump to foment this base.
3: Okay, so I think it's crazy in general that you would consider it a – point of condemnation that I had the president of the United States on my radio show twice by the way I will tell you this I said it back when we had the president on I will always put on the president of the United States if somebody reaches out and says the president of the United States would be interested in doing your show it's a no-brainer if Joe Biden's people when he gets inaugurated At some point during the course of his presidency, he said, hey, Joe wants to reach a huge audience of sports fans. Are you interested in having him on? The answer would be yes. I would say yes to every president of my life. Ronald Reagan, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, uh, Barack Obama. All of these guys, Donald Trump and now Joe Biden, I would have them all on in a heartbeat, right? Always going to do that. But this to me is emblematic of a larger story in my industry, which is whether or not you agree with what I say on this show on a day-to-day basis, the reason why we have the audience that we do is because I sit down and tell you exactly what I think for three hours every single day. I don't tell you what I think you want to hear I tell you exactly what I think. And sometimes you're out there listening and you're like, Clay, you are full of it. I 100% disagree with you. What in the world are you thinking? And other times you're like, you know what? He's making a pretty good point. And so what has happened in my industry is that's so rare that we have become, not even just in sports media, but in media in general, One of the most honest radio shows you can find anywhere. And what Lebetard represents is he is out there throwing insults at me because I don't bow down and kiss the ring of the ascendant far left-wing sports media. I don't think that Donald Trump voters are awful human beings. I don't think that athletes making millions of dollars a year are victims. I don't think that your average fan is an awful human being because he decides that he would like to go watch a game as opposed to be lectured to about politics. I think those are commonplace opinions. I think most people are going to pop a beer open this weekend, and I think they're going to sit down and watch the NFL on Saturday and Sunday And they're going to do that because they want to escape serious things in their life. There's a lot of serious things going on every single day. You may have family members who are sick. You may have kids who are giving you all sorts of difficulty. You may not be getting along great with your spouse. You may not be getting along great with your parents. But for a few hours, you can have a beer and kick your feet up and watch a good NFL game. And that's the people that I think I talk to. Guys and girls out there, center part of the country, just hanging out, love sports because it's the toy chest of life. And what guys like Lebetard represent is, oh, Clay Travis, he has opinions that aren't shared by everybody else in sports media. He doesn't think it's brave when an athlete says, oh, I won't go visit the White House. No, I think it's kind of cowardly because I would always go visit the White House. Maybe I'm crazy. I have respect for the office. President invites me to the White House. I'm going to be there every single time. Oh, Clay Travis, he's the kind of guy who expects that uh, when there are uh, protests that there should be guys who and girls who are arrested who are violating the law. He thinks they should be. Uh, he thinks they should have actual criminal charges brought against them for rioting and looting. Yeah, regardless of whether you're a Democrat or Republican. If you're protesting and you break the law, I think police should arrest you and I don't think you should get released without having to pay consequences for your behavior. I think that rioting and looting is wrong no matter who is doing the rioting and the looting. And what drives these guys crazy is deep down, I think they know that I'm right. Because cancel culture doesn't really fit with creativity. Right? Right? If you're a comedian and you stride up on the stage and you make a joke and it doesn't go well, but you're trying out new material, you shouldn't get canceled. If you hop on Twitter and you're Kevin Hart and you want to host the Oscars, you shouldn't be disallowed from hosting the Oscars because 10 years ago you wrote a tweet that people are deciding they're getting offended by now. And this idea of cancel culture coming to sports, I just I think that the levitards of the world deep down know that they're in the wrong here. And they know that this idea that, oh, that guy's opinion is too scary to be allowed to be shared. I think they know that they're in the wrong there in a big way. And so I kind of take it as a point of pride, honestly. I kind of enjoy, I laugh at it, but I kind of enjoy when other media outlets are talking about us at OutKick because it's evidence of how big our audience has gotten. And I see the data, right? I see the number of you downloading the podcast. I see the millions of you downloading the podcast, the millions of you reading the site, the millions of you watching our videos. And I just know how big our audience is. And I think that's because of the authenticity. So when I see people taking shots at me and having to curse at me because they're so bothered by what my opinions are, I just think it's kind of funny. Like, You are so concerned about what I say on my show that you feel compelled to attack me on your show. I win. That's a win for me. Because you know what? This has been my story of how OutKick has grown. I started off with an audience of zero. I didn't get hired by ESPN or Fox and suddenly get made into a star because they put me on television all the time. No, no, no. I started with an audience of zero writing online and now we got millions. But I appreciate Levitard. I'll say this, and I've said it before. He's welcome to come on the show. I don't run from people. You heard me interview Peter King. Didn't go well for Peter King. You've seen me uh, interview other people. I usually am a counterpuncher. But he's welcome to go on the show. I'll even do a home and home. He can come on my show. I'll go on his podcast. I'll answer anything. I ain't scared. I'm not afraid of sharing my opinions with anybody. That's the point of the marketplace of ideas. You share your opinion. I'll share mine. We'll let people decide which is better. I think mine are better. He probably thinks his are better. I think I'd crush him if we actually had a debate on the issues because I think I'm better, more sound, smarter, better speaker, better hair. Eh, Definitely better hair. This is OutKick, by the way. Uh, I appreciate all of you hanging out with us. When we come back, we're going to be joined by John McClain. He's been covering the NFL for 45 years. We're going to break down all six of the NFL games. I appreciate all of you. This is OutKick on Fox Sports Radio.
2: slash sports tire the way tire buying should be
3: excited to be joined by one of the guys who's the best in the entire country at covering the NFL also at covering the Houston Texans he's been down in Houston for a long time 43 years I think he's been covering the league you can correct me if I'm wrong uh, he's a member of the Baylor Sports Hall of Fame he is John McClain John appreciate the time my man
4: my pleasure Clay how are you
3: I'm doing uh, fantastic let's be honest as tough as the last uh, couple of years have been for many people out there, uh, you know, you start 2020, getting into 2021, hasn't been going smooth. I'm really excited to just sit down on my couch and watch three football games on Saturday and three football games on Sunday and then have Alabama-Ohio State played on Monday. That's seven football games, about as good of a weekend into Monday as you can have if you're a big sports fan of football like pretty much everybody who is listening to us right now is.
4: I agree 100%. Usually I'm preparing for a Texans playoff game. They won the division for the last five years. This year they were disasters. disaster. So uh, I get to sit in front of the TV, and I'm hoping they don't hire a head coach over the weekend. I don't think they will. <laughs> right. Because I want to watch those games too. It's going to be tremendous. Usually the wild card and the divisional round games are the best, and the divisional round to me have always been the ones I like the best, the most competitive and most exciting. And when I retire, and this is my 45th year on the NFL, I need to update that bio. When I retire, or the Chronicle puts me out to pasture, one of the things my wife and I want to do is go to Vegas and go to the divisional round games and actually bet. I've never bet on a game, and I'm sure I'd lose my money. But I think it'd be a lot of fun. It'd be exciting. That's one of the things. I've been to Vegas a lot, but never during the NFL playoffs because I'm always covering them. So it's going to be a great weekend. And as you said, topped off Monday night, and I still think Alabama will blow away Ohio
3: State. I kind of feel the same. All right, so let's dive into the big story out of Houston. Deshaun Watson not necessarily being happy with the process by which the GM has been hired and potentially also with the interview list uh, that the Texans have put together. Not necessarily, again, based on who's being hired, but the reports are out there that he was told he would be involved in some way and he hasn't really felt like he was involved. Not that he's ever getting to pick who the GM or the coach is or will be. What have you picked up on that tension? There have been some reports that he's even saying he wants to get traded. Do you buy into any of this? Absolutely not.
4: He won't be traded under any circumstances. He won't be asked to be traded. The owner, Cal McNair, had lunch with him, in which this was a couple weeks ago, when Watson was asking him what he thought he was going to do about the kind of head coach he was going to get offense defense he said we're going to try to hire the best coach doesn't matter we're going to interview offensive and defensive coordinators and then Watson told us on Monday the day after the last game on his season ending zoom that he had talked to Cal McNair again and so they hired Nick Casario who is one of the who is, there's not another personnel director in the NFL more deserving of being a general manager than Casario, who's 45 years old, has been with the Patriots 20 years, has worked his way up from an offensive, an assistant, entry-level, get Bill Belichick's coffee to being the director of player personnel since 08. He's got six trophies, and so uh, he's been hired as a general manager, but because he came from the Patriots, everybody here is infuriated because they're tired of the Patriots. They equate the Patriots with Bill O'Brien. And I'd funny, Clay, because I've done interviews with people in New England, former people in the organization, a couple of currently media people that cover him, and they all swear by Casario. And down here, everybody hates the hire, and he's going to be on a Zoom with us tomorrow at noon first time that he would uh, be talking to us, and so uh, I'm eager to see because i've never i don't I don't know him, I know all about him. I feel like I know it now because I've been talking to so many people who've been around him. Ted Johnson, the longtime inside linebacker there for ten years, won three super Bowl rings. He used to be on uh, my talk show here now he's back in Boston in the media he said he's going to be a great general manager, and he went into details why Scott Pioli. Uh the former general manager, I've talked to him. Mike Reese got a podcast with a longtime ESPN.com dot com beat writer of the Patriots. He raves about him. The key now is getting the right head coach. And and uh they've interviewed three. They've got two more lined up. Titans offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith, Colts defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflues, When their seasons are over, both could be over this weekend, because they got tough games. And then Casario may have a couple on his list as well.
3: Do you think in all the years that you've covered uh, the NFL that a player should be consulted in a significant way when it comes to a GM or a coaching hire, whether they're the quarterback, whether it's a J.J. Watt, a star defensive end, whether they're the face of the franchise, or is that just a bad idea?
4: First of all, uh, they're never around a general manager. The only time they ever see a general manager in the NFL is if he's standing out there watching practice and you go up and speak to him. Because the GMs are on another floor, players, unless they request a meeting, they're not going to see them. They deal with a coach all the time. And a head coach, and I've, I've been covering the NFL 45 years, I've been in dressing rooms. Unless you have the kind of head coach who comes through the dressing room with BS's on his way to wherever he's going, they don't talk to the head coach individually. People always thought Bill O'Brien and Andre Hopkins had a problem with each other. They never talked. Hopkins was on way on one end of the dressing room, and if O'Brien walked through, he would have to go way down on the end to talk to him, and that's just not what happens. I'm sure a guy like Pete Carroll probably talks to his players, goes in the dressing room, but a lot of coaches, they just don't do that. So would I, I, I'll tell you what I would do. If I were going to hire an offensive coordinator as a head coach and it had been somebody that had gone against my team, I would ask Deshaun Watson, who had prepared against them, what do you think about this candidate because you went against him? Say Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator of the Colts, who's gone against them twice a year and three times in 2018. Watson talked to him after the last game against the Colts, and I said, did it dawn on you? You might be talking to your next head coach. He said, "Nope, I was just asking him, uh, telling him how much he had changed his defense in two weeks." And uh, <laughs> he said, "Well, we had to change it, change it, going against you." So uh, I think that they would, should ask him. Consulting means, "What do you think about this?" But they're certainly not going to hire somebody based on what any player says. If you do, if you do, you should have to sell your team.
3: We're talking to John McClain here. So there was the video that I'm sure you've seen of J.J. Watt walking off with Deshaun Watson, where basically Watt kind of apologizes for wasting. I think he said, if it was the right word, if I'm ever recalling it correctly, what was a really, really good season from Deshaun Watson. Is that the general consensus that Watson was pretty fantastic and the Colts, uh, sorry, the Texans everywhere else? We're just not able to rise up to the same level of him, and there's kind of this sense that they wasted a great season from him.
4: Isn't it amazing? You used the right word fantastic. They trade DeAndre Hopkins. Everybody goes crazy. He has his best season without him. He led the league in yards, he had led the league in average per attempt. Texans receivers averaged the most yards per catch of any team in the league. He threw most touchdowns, fewest interceptions. His rating was number two to uh, Aaron Rodgers, and his completion percentage was a career-high 70%, and he did it with Will Fuller being suspended for five games, slot receiver, Randall Cobb missing six with injuries, and had to play a lot of backup receivers. And so he made those guys look good. But, yes, they wasted it. And I'll say this, Clay, I've never seen a schedule like this. After the season, the teams they played were 57 games over five hundred, and five were in first place, counting the tie with the Texans, with the Titans and Colts, and the Titans – beat the Texans on the last play of two games. And the Colts had the Texans on their two-yard line in the last minute of both games, and the Texans lost fumbles, and they lost eight one-score games. And so for a team that had eight defensive starters out because of injuries and suspensions and COVID-19, it's amazing they did as well as they did came that close, and that was all because of Watson, because the running game was terrible, 31st, and their defense was run was against the run, was pathetic, and they still, they only won four, but boy, they came close on a bunch more because of Watson.
3: What's the feeling over the fact that the number three overall pick is going to Miami? Certainly when Bill O'Brien made that pick, as you mentioned, they'd won the division four out of the last five years. He's not anticipating Certainly, with Deshaun Watson as his quarterback, that things could go this awry, and that the pick would ever end up this high. Uh, but what is the feeling there without a first or second round pick going into uh, the off season?
4: Well, I don't go hindsight because at the time they gave up two ones and a two for Laramie Tunsil, Pro Bowl left tackle, and Kenny Stills, receiver. Those two guys helped them win the division, finish 10 and 6, beat Buffalo in the playoffs before they choked that 24 point lead against Kansas City. But then the Texans this year, very few players played as well as they did the year before. Now, the first time Miami had that first round pick, it was 27th. Yeah. They weren't going to get an offensive tackle like Laramie Still. No doubt. I mean, Laramie Tunsell at 27. So they're assuming the second year, this year, it's going to be like that. But it's third overall. Now everybody is going ballistic, all Bill O'Brien's fault. Anything that reminds them of Bill O'Brien here, people are just hysterical. And so they don't like Nick Casario because he worked with him. They don't like Jack Easterby, the executive VP of football ops, because he worked with him. And if they hire a head coach who's ever changed planes at Logan or Providence Airport, (laughs) they're not going to like
3: him either. we're talking to John McClain, the Houston Chronicle, 45 years uh, covering the NFL. Okay, six big games going on this weekend. Uh, Three on uh, Saturday, three on Sunday. What jumps out at you about, let's start with the Saturday games, which, uh, again, I'm going to be watching every one of them. You're probably going to be watching every one of them. A lot of our audience out there is going to be watching. Colts, Bills, Rams, Seahawks, Bucks, uh, Washington, anything in particular in those three that leap out to you to give you a hint or a clue about what the games are going to be like or who might be able to exploit and take advantage of the other team?
4: Tom Brady, who's never played in a wild card game, I think will have a big game against Washington. Uh, Washington, of course, if Washington had been in any other division, they would have been nobody paying attention to them. But they play in the worst division in NFL history. And watching those two games at the end of the season uh, between those four teams was a great indication of some bad football. The, uh, the Colts, I think, are going to lose. The Buffalo, Josh Allen, has been great. The Bills are averaging 38 points a game. And their five game winning streak at the end of the year. And they're doing it without much of a running game. I think this, Clay, if they are the team that goes to Kansas City, that if the weather is bad in Kansas City, remember three years ago when it was for the Titans, or four years ago, the weather was awful and they went up and beat the Chiefs at Harrowhead? Yes. And so if the weather is like that snow and wind you've got to run the ball. And the Chiefs and the Bills, neither one of them run the ball well. It's all about the quarterbacks, whereas opposed to the Titans and the Ravens, both of them run the ball great. So I look for Buffalo to win. I look for Tampa to win. And which is the other game?
3: Rams-Seahawks for a third time, the the charm there potentially
4: they split i don't care if jared goff's back or not they're not sane. i mean the guy broke his thumb how's he gonna go out and play and i don't think it matters i think seattle and russell wilson will win that game handily
3: all right sunday and i'm going to this game you're going to be chilling in your house probably nice oh, yeah. weather kicking up your feet it's gonna be a little cold here john in fact uh this morning in Nashville, there's some snow on the ground, which doesn't happen uh, very often here. So it's, it's, it's gotten a little chilly here in uh, mid-January, which is kind of NFL playoff weather. And as you mentioned, both the Ravens and the Titans can run the football. Titans have won the last two. Now comes a third matchup. Uh, Lamar Jackson 0-2 in the playoffs. Titans defense, as you saw them last week in Houston, just not very good, hasn't been very good all year. What in your mind happens in this one?
4: Clay, this is my favorite game of the weekend, old-fashioned football. Two teams that run, run, and run some more. It's hard to believe the Ravens just ran for 404 yards. And the the way the Titans beat them in Baltimore in a divisional round last year, of course, was running Derrick Henry a lot and they made Lamar Jackson throw to the outside, throw to the boundaries. Take away that pass down the middle. He likes to throw to tight end Mark Andrews and receiver Hollywood Brown. Make him throw on time and accurately to the sideline. Teams that try to do that. Some can't. Some still leave the middle open. I think Derrick Henry didn't have 100 yards against Green Bay. I think they will do a good job against him, and I think Baltimore is going to win this game. Last two times Baltimore has played Nashville, they've won. As you pointed out, last two times Titans have been in Baltimore, they've won. And the Ravens ought to have revenge on their minds because they blew home field advantage last year in a big way to the Titans and Derrick Henry.
3: John, you've covered the NFL, as we just talked about earlier in uh, in, in the show here, 45 years. How good is Derrick Henry? I mean, you've watched a lot of great running backs over that time covering uh, the NFL. Who does he remind you of uh, in terms of the way he plays? Is he even a little bit of a unicorn? Because guys his size just don't come around that often who are able to move at his speed. Certainly, he's a rarity in today's NFL. I saw a stat. I couldn't believe it. If he had only played the second half of games, he would have still finished top four in rushing yards. That's an unbelievable. Isn't that statistic. amazing? Yes.
4: Uh, he had he had rushed for two hundred yards in his previous two games against the Texans before Sunday. I predicted he'd have two hundred yards in the first half. He <laughs> let me down, but then he got with it in the second half and finished with two hundred and fifty. He he now has five 200-yard games, all in the AFC South, three against the Texans, two against the Jaguars. He's not 27. And playing in AFC South, he may end up with 10. Right now, only two players have more 200-yard games than he does. That would be O.J. Simpson and Adrian Peterson with six. Emmitt Smith had two. Walter Payton had one. And Derrick Henry's going to end up with 10, probably just against the Texans and the Jaguars. When I watch him, and I've seen him a lot, playing against the Texans on TV, I see a guy, because of his age, that he's headed for the Hall of Fame. That's what I believe. And as far as a guy his size, 6'3", 247. Eric Dickerson was 6'3". And Eric was in about two thirty-five. Chuck Muncie of the Chargers, he was six-three. You just don't see guys six-three doing what Henry does. I feel sorry for defensive players, but that have to try to tackle him. And since he started slow in his career, you know, he's only done it the last three years, and he's only been great the last two. But he's incredibly durable. If he could do this two or three more years, he's going to Canton.
3: That's what I was going to ask you because I don't know what his total yardage number is going to be, but as a guy who has assessed NFL Hall of Famers for a long time, do you look at it and say, man, he was the best at his position for two straight years, which I think it's fair he is right now. Now, he may be good the best at his position again next year and the year after, and he's done it four years, not even a question. How do you assess? I think he's approaching 6,000 total yards in his career for a long time people said hey you know you need to get to 10,000 to be a hall of famer but what if your yardage total comes in a big burst where you're the best at what you do for two or three years how do you assess that from a hall of fame perspective
4: I think you need to more than be more than the best for two or three years like five years or among the best yeah he certainly is right now and he shows no signs of letting up Titans fans complain when he comes out in passing situations. Yeah, they should be happy that he comes out in passing situations. I know defenses are, and <laughs> I think this he is. He reminds me, not in size, of Earl Campbell, the Hall of Fame running back from the Oilers. Earl was five eleven, two twenty five, but he really that's when he came in. He was more like five eleven, and two thirty five. He didn't run a great forty. Henry doesn't run a great 40, but nobody catches those guys from behind. It's like somebody's turning on a a Munson burner up their butt when they get (laughs) an open field because even these little corners can't catch them. And that's one of the most fun things to watch him. And if Henry played all the time and they would throw him the ball, like in the first game against the Texans when he caught a screen and went 52, no telling what he would do, but that extra wear and tear on his body wouldn't be good. I like the way Mike Brable is using him.
3: One of the craziest stats out there right now as we continue to break down the games with John McClain has been at the Houston Chronicle for 45 years covering the NFL, Bears-Saints. The Saints, John, have lost three straight playoff games on the final play of the game. What are the odds of that actually happening? I mean, it's truly unbelievable. Do you think they have what it takes to get past the Bears with ease and roll potentially to the Super Bowl? How would you assess this matchup?
4: I picked the Saints and the Ravens in the Super Bowl before the season, and I picked the Saints to win. And I think both of them have a chance But I believe Green Bay is the best team in the NFC. It's going to be hard to beat at Lambeau Field in January. Saints have a good defense. It depends on Alvin Kamara. They don't need him to beat the Bears. They don't need a running back to beat the Bears because the Bears are our second-worst playoff team. And if they hadn't played a dog-ass schedule down the stretch, beginning with the Texans who jump-started their playoff run with an awful performance, they wouldn't be in the postseason, so I think New Orleans will win this game, and the key is if they get to the championship game, and I am not, won't be surprised if it's Tom Brady and the Bucks. Dome teams going outside in bad weather in January, it's not good for them, and so I don't see them winning at Lambeau Field. Brady... Who's used to playing outside? Gronk's used to playing in bad weather in January. I could see the Bucks going in there and giving Aaron Rodgers a run for his money.
3: Last game, and I appreciate all your time. I appreciate everything you do. Appreciate you coming on with us. John McClain, Houston Chronicle. You can follow him on uh, Twitter. I'll tweet out the link uh, for him when we post uh, this podcast uh, later on uh, Friday. All the days run together, John. I can barely keep track of what day it is. I now. got you uh browns and steelers browns in the postseason for the first time in 18 years and they don't have a head coach with them at all uh steelers rested big ben last week uh trying to get back that same mojo that they had early in the season when they started 11 and 0 what happens
4: i was at that playoff game in uh in uh pittsburgh kelly holcomb threw for over 400 yards and they had a receiver, Dennis Northcutt, that dropped the ball right in his hands, helped the Steelers rally to win. I felt so bad for the Browns fans. But you figure, hey, they'll be back soon. But they weren't. Trying to win yeah. the first game since Bill Belichick was their coach. I think it is absolutely preposterous that Kevin Stefanski can't be at home watching a game on TV with a headset talking to his offensive coordinator. I agree. To call plays because I watched uh, last week Kirk Herb Street. lives there in Nashville. With that's you. right, he awesome
3: guy. Yeah,
4: showed his 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 room where he was calling the game. He had multiple monitors. And if he can do that, why wouldn't they set up Kevin Stefanski? It's unfair. It's ridiculous. Somebody said, well, it's the rules. Well, they've altered rules and made adjustments all season. I would hate to think the Browns would lose that way, but it'd be an even bigger upset if they won without Stefanski. And I'll say this about the Steelers. I have never seen a Steelers running game this bad. They finished worse than the Texans in rushing, and that was bad
1: (laughs) john
3: enjoy the games this weekend kick the feet up i'm sorry by the way i'm not going to see you at the super bowl this year because it sounds like the super bowl is not going to be very super there's very little radio row and everything else uh but i hope to see you again soon you got to let me know when you're uh, able to get up to nashville or i'll let you know if i get down
1: to houston
4: clay thank you very much as always hope you have a happy new year and you and your family stay safe
2: TireRack.com slash sports. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be.
3: I saw some stats on Derrick Henry, and I was like, I've got to dive through all of these because it's truly pretty remarkable when you look at what is possible with Derrick Henry. First of all, Derrick Henry is the only running back in the history of the sport to rush for 2,000 yards in high school, 2,000 yards in college, and 2,000 yards in the NFL. Nobody has ever done that before in the history of football. That is pretty crazy when you think about that accomplishment. A couple of other stats that I saw that I couldn't believe. If Derrick Henry had not taken a single carry in the first half this season, he would still have finished fourth in the NFL in rushing. Derrick Henry, in only half of his games, had 1,076 yards, which would have put him just behind Aaron Jones and Jonathan Taylor. That's an unbelievable stat. Derrick Henry has the most 200 rushing yard, two touchdown games in NFL history. He's got five. Guy by the name of Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, and LaDainian Tomlinson, all are Hall of Famers. They've done it three times. Again, 200 rushing yards, two touchdowns, in NFL history, that's pretty unbelievable. When you start to think about what a freak Derrick Henry is, also teams that are out here trying to stop him. When you see the data, Derrick Henry is the first player ever to run for two thousand yards without a Pro Bowl offensive lineman. Now Taylor Lewan is a normal offensive lineman for the Titans at left tackle who got injured early in the season and is out. But that is pretty insane to think about how that has all broken out in the grand scheme of things. I, I just saw it and I was like, that is uh, all of those stats are freakish for Derrick Henry. And you just heard me talking about it with John McClain. I don't know how many more years of dominance he has like this Because remember, he came into the league for a couple of years and they didn't use him very much, but I think there's no slowing him down over the next couple of years. And if he does that, he's approaching 6,000 rushing yards, I think he's probably got a pretty good chance of getting to 10,000 rushing yards, which has traditionally been the level you have to get to to be a Hall of Famer. And if he does that, already the data that he's got out there is pretty remarkable, and If he can play at the same caliber of level next year, given the fact that they're adding a 17th game to the season, he's got a legitimate chance to go after the all-time rushing record of Eric Dickerson. Now, Dickerson did it in 16 games, so that would be a bit different. And remember, OJ ran for 2,000 yards in just 14 games. So Eric Dickerson got a two-game advantage eventually on OJ Simpson. And now Derrick Henry would theoretically have an advantage with the 17th game. But if they keep rolling on offense and if he stays healthy and gets to keep playing with Ryan Tannehill, I don't see any reason why Derrick Henry's overall productivity is going to decline at all. In fact, I think he's going to continue to dominate. Now, that doesn't mean I expect him to have an unbelievable game against the Ravens. If the Ravens have any kind of defensive pride at all, After what Derrick Henry did to them last year, they are going to insist that Ryan Tannehill beat them in this playoff game if they lose. And I do think Tannehill has the ability with Corey Davis and with A.J. Brown and with Jonu Smith, Tannehill has played well enough to put the team on his shoulders sometimes, even if Derrick Henry is not playing in a dominant fashion. But my goodness, what an incredible run Derrick Henry has been on. All right, we come back. Diving back into all six of the NFL playoff games Saturday and Sunday, what do we expect? Dr. David Chow also scheduled to join us. And in the final segment of the third hour, we will give you the NFL OutKick six-pack. I appreciate all of you. This is OutKick. You are listening
1: to Fox Sports Radio. This is OutKick, the coverage with Clay Travis. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach zero Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets
4: at cedarpoint.com.